0: Hi, I'm Issa Kwonga. And I'm Ryan Hunt. And we co-host Stadio, a football podcast, on the Ringer Podcast Network. If you like soccer or football, make sure you search for Stadio, a football podcast on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's Off the Pike presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like 3-Minute Markets and exclusive live bets like Quarter Player Props, Player Assist Combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available, and listen to the end of this episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus in D.C., and president select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com.
1: This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with $25,000 Tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube. Car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com.
0: Welcome into Off the Pike. I'm Brian Barrett. After the Patriots season has officially come to an end, the Dolphins beat the Jets and the Patriots lose to the Bills 35-23. to 23. They finished the season 8-9. and nine. We'll chat with three-time Super Bowl champ James White in just a little bit. Recap the season with him and this loss today because at times it felt like the Patriots are going to win this game. But like we've seen so many times since Tom Brady left this organization, when the Patriots play good teams, they end up losing these games. And look, that was a really cool moment at the beginning of the game after everything that happened this week with Damari Hamlin to see the Bills return, the opening kickoff for a touchdown. But after that, the second time, it's like, ridiculous that this happens to the Patriots. Their special teams used to be like one of their big things. They used to always be great with the special team situation. They're horrible with the special teams now. So let me just get into this. So where I thought the game sort of was lost, and then I'll get into some bigger picture thoughts with this team going forward, is start of the second half, the Patriots, remember I told you the other day that they lead the NFL in third quarter points per game. They're rolling down the field. They're at the Bills 37. It's 14 to 14. And you're about to take the lead, whether it's a field goal or a touchdown. Obviously, you'd prefer the touchdown. And Mac, who up until that point in the game had played really, really well, just throws the ball up in the air. He's looking for Aguilar. First of all, why are you going to that matchup? It's Aguilar on their best corner in Tredavious White. The reality is this. I don't care how much fucking money the Patriots pay Nelson Aguilar. He's not that good, Okay. He doesn't have an advantage in that situation whatsoever. He didn't get off the line of scrimmage well against Tradavius White either. I don't know why Mac made that decision. So that's the momentum right there. But guess what? The defense, who has bailed out the Patriots so many times this season, two plays later, Jonathan Jones has that play where he knocks the ball out of Singletary's hands. McCourty recovers that fumble, and you're like, holy shit, they're going to get it back. So you take over at the 11-yard line. Harris runs for two yards. Then you're incomplete to Harris, which, by the way, I thought the officiating was really poor in this game. I still think that that was interference. But nonetheless, why are you running that play with Harris there? Why wouldn't Ramondre Stevenson be on the field in that particular situation if you're going to run that type of play? I get it. They're switching off series and all that. But if you're going to be throwing the ball, he came into today, him and Jacoby Myers, most receptions on the team. Why wouldn't you be running that for Stevenson? But anyway, no interference. Then Max scrambles for three and you have to settle for a field goal. So you take over at the 11 yard line and your two red zone trips earlier in the game. And I'll get to those in a second here. You score on, you score touchdowns on, you have this unbelievable play. Your defense bails you out after Mac Jones makes such a poor decision looking for Nelson Aguilar, and you can't finish the drive. You have to settle for a field goal. So then you take the 17 to 14 lead. And again, what happens after that is another touchdown return off a kickoff from Hines. Okay. So that's when the Bills just can completely take control back of the game. And I don't know what's going on with the situation in terms of the kickoffs today. Okay. You can live with the first one, I guess. I mean, you wouldn't want to. But the second one, Miles Bryant has him. Like, just make a tackle. And it still would have been a decent return. That was at like the 35 of the 40-yard line. But you got to be able to make a tackle there. And then after that, the Patriots are overcompensating so much because the kickoff game has been so bad that you have a squib kick that goes out of bounds. So you get a 15-yard penalty with Nick Folk kicking the ball off. So it was just a complete mess all in all from... The special teams perspective, and you held Josh Allen and that offense down for a while, but because your special teams was so bad and you weren't finishing drives in the second half, you let the Bills basically take control of this game, a game that you really had a chance to win. Another thing I would just mention is this is the third and 10 after that squib kick where you got the penalty. It's a one on one. Stephon Diggs beats Josh Allen or I should say this Stephon Diggs ends up beating Jonathan Jones Josh Allen finds him and then they take they already had the lead but they extend their lead and that was just a situation right there where their best players were better than your best players and he beat them one-on-one down the field and that's basically the game right there and now Diggs this continues to be a problem for the Patriots it's not like he's going anywhere he's going to be in this division for the foreseeable future seven for 104 and a touchdown today Last time you played him, he went for nine and 92 with a touchdown. Time before that, four for 60. Time before that, seven for 85. So the Patriots have no answer for Stephon Diggs whatsoever. And I would just look at this too. Like this defense had a really good season. Okay, this defense is really talented. Judon's a stud. Barmore's played really well down the stretch of the season. Duggar's a stud. Devin McCourty had a really nice game today, right? He had the interception and he had the recovery. But here's the problem for this Patriots team. Unlike Patriots teams we've seen in the past that had great defenses, they beat good quarterbacks, right? They beat the Peyton Mannings of the world, okay? And I'm even going back to the real early part of the dynasty, the first dynasty, when Brady wasn't really the best quarterback in the NFL left or yet, they found a way to beat good quarterbacks. This team doesn't beat good quarterbacks. Look at the list this season. They lost to Tua. They lost to Lamar. They lost to Aaron Rodgers. They lost to Justin Fields. They lost to Kirk Cousins. They lost to Josh Allen twice. They lost to Carr, who isn't even that good, and they lost to Joe Burrow. Here's the list of quarterbacks the Patriots beat. Trubisky, benched. Goff, he's like the only decent one. Brissett, backup. Wilson, benched. You beat him twice. Ellinger, benched. McCoy, backup. Teddy, Bridgewater slash Skyler Thompson, okay? Whichever one you want to say you beat, I guess technically the loss goes on Bridgewater's resume. So that's the difference between... Great defenses and the defense that the Patriots had this season. This team didn't beat any good quarterbacks. They did not have a signature win. Quite frankly, they really don't have a signature win since Brady left the organization. All right. So one of the things I was like feeling good about in this game is, holy crap, Matt Patricia discovered you can actually use play action. Okay, coming into today, Mac Jones, in terms of the percentage of his dropbacks that come via play action, 16.3 percent. That was 39th of 40 qualifiers. Okay, and he's like a good play action passer. 96 rating, 69.6% in terms of his completion percentage. And if you look at it, that 16.3% is so low. Like Tua, for example, is at 43.1%, right? So it's the play action to Stevenson. They threw Myers in motion. Like they actually decided, hey, you know, we can move guys before the snap, right? So they actually did that. They got Myers open on a play action. They had Parker down the field play action for 17 yards. Mack to Stevenson for six yards. Harris for six yards. So in that first half, if you add it all up, you had eight play-action passes for Mac. He was eight for eight in those particular situations, right? So I felt, like, good about, oh, they're actually using it. They had a nice pass to Bourne out of play-action as well. And I was excited in the moment, but I'm thinking to myself, like, where has this been? Why haven't they been using this with Mac all season long? It's the low-hanging fruit in the NFL. It's the easy stuff, and... For some reason, the Patriots just never used it. And all of a sudden, they busted out in the first half. And guess what they did? They didn't use it in the second half. They went away from the play action when it was actually working for you in the first half of the game. And then I thought, like, the red zone creativity was actually pretty good in the first half, right? Patriots came into today dead last in the NFL in terms of converting your red zone trips into touchdowns. 41.5%. No other team, by the way, was south of 44. So, you saw the play where Mac little play action to Myers on the touchdown, incredible grab by Myers, but again, using some play action. Nice concept there. And then the next red zone trip, you had the shovel pass to Stevenson for five yards, which I thought was very effective. That's something like the Kansas City Chiefs do. We never see the Patriots do stuff like that. And then Mac to Parker, where he had Jones in motion. Remember, Marcus Jones came into the game. They throw him in motion. The defense has to account for him because he's been such a dangerous playmaker whenever he's on the field. So that kind of screws up the Bills' defense, and you're able to find Parker. So I actually thought, oh, yeah, the red zone creativity was there today. Where has that been all season? You were last in the NFL. Where has that been all season long, right? That's the s- sort of stuff that aggravates you more so than you're like pumped when it happens. You're like, whoa, whoa. This is happening right now. Well, maybe if they had more creativity in the red zone, maybe if they used more play action throughout the season, the Patriots wouldn't have been in a position today where they had to go to Buffalo to try to beat Josh Allen and that wagon of a Bills team just to get into the postseason, right? This is stuff that should have been happening long ago. They were aggressive on fourth down today. They went for it twice in terms of when the game was actually in a position where you could win it, right? You think about the one you went for. At the 42 yard line, love the aggression. He finds Hunter Henry, does Mac Jones. And the Patriots coming into today, 27.3% on fourth down, last in the NFL. And they rarely go for it either. And then you had the fourth and one when you were down 28 to 17, play action pass to Myers. So the aggression from the Patriots is there. Stuff we're asking for all season long. We saw in the first half of this game and a little bit into the second half play action, creativity in the red zone. Being aggressive, going for it on fourth down, all this stuff we've been asking for all season long, we saw it in the first half, and then it just kind of disappears, right? So it's one of those things where this would have been great if it was a loss in the middle of the season at week nine. You're saying, oh, they're really making progress. But the reality is the season's over. Way too late for this shit to start happening. And I look at Mac in this game. He was playing so well. And here's the problem I have. Like, you look at the final line, and I actually thought he had a good game. He's 26 of 40 for, six 65%. The passer rating, 75.3. He has the three interceptions in this game. They're not all on him. I'll get to those in a second. And 243 yards. So the reason I point out the line is because I actually thought Mac played well for a good portion of this game. And that's what well looks like for Mac. That's what a good game for Mac looks like right now. And it's not very impressive. I mean, you think about the interceptions, the Aguilar one, we went over that just made no sense. It's a bad decision. Then you think about the one where he's looking for Hunter Henry. I understand you're trying to pick up the 20 yards there, but you still have another down. You're going for it on fourth down. We know that that was just too risky of a pass. I mean, that's a pass that Mac Jones should not be making. And then you just think about the last one. That's not on him. That's on Damian Harris hitting it up in the air. But all in all, the two of those interceptions weren't him. They were bad decisions. So as well as I thought he played at times, he'd still, if you look at it all in all, he did not have a great game. And this is like supposed to be progress for Mac Jones, right? And I also have to look at this. So if you look at... Now the numbers since Tom Brady left, the Patriots are 25 and 25 in the regular season. Of course, they lost the playoff game as well, but 25 and 25 during the regular season. Obviously, you missed the playoffs in two of the three years. Tom Brady, when he was the quarterback of the Patriots, was 219 and 64 in the regular season. So he won north of 77% of his games. Okay, so he won more. He was winning all the time, at least three out of every four games. And this is the new reality for the Patriots. They're 25 and 25. So this whole idea of who won the divorce, Brady versus Bill, that thing is long gone. Brady could have been the MVP last season and he won the Super Bowl in his first year. So that's over. And now you're worried about like sort of going forward with this organization. And I know this is going to sound kind of bad, but. Did you really have fun watching this team at all this season, right? Like, I'm not upset that the season's over, and I hate to say that because I love the Patriots and I love football, but it felt like a chore at times this year, didn't it? Now, today, the first half was fun, and into the third quarter was fun, but then it was like, oh, same shit that we've seen all season long with the Patriots, right? And even like last year, I had fun watching that team. Now, I know it ended poorly, and after the bye week, the team completely fell apart, but last year, you felt like, wow, this is the start of something, right, where Heading into the bye week, the Patriots had the number one seed in the AFC with a rookie quarterback, and the Brady game last year was emotional. That was a lot of fun, too, and you felt like good coming out of that game, right? Because you kind of held Tom down, you limited him, and Max showed that he was competitive in that game, so you felt like, all right, Belichick and company, they're on to something here. This is the start of something for the foreseeable future for the Patriots, but what about this year? Like, where was the fun? We go all the way back to training camp, right, and things were a complete disaster. They were changing some of the scheme. They were trying to make life easier for Matt, Patricia and Joe Judge because they couldn't run the Josh McDaniels offense and it didn't work. And now you look at it, they weren't having good practices. Okay, we're not even talking about like games and they were playing poorly in the first couple weeks of the season, which they were, but they couldn't even practice well. And it was out there everywhere. Right. So you kind of knew where this thing was headed. And then you start the season, you drop three of your first four. You put up seven points in your opener against Miami. So we all knew that this offense was going to be a joke. Honestly, the most fun I really had this season watching this Patriots team was probably the zappy thing, right? When he came into the game against Green Bay, he played pretty solid there. Then he completes, what, 81% of his passes in the win over Detroit. And then he lit up the Browns for 309 yards. And look, that story and that situation was handled really poorly by Bill. I still have no idea why he put Mac out there for three series against the Chicago Bears. If he can't play the whole game, just don't play him. I still contend that that was a benching for Mac Jones. I don't buy into this whole idea that that was the plan from... The get go, but we've had moments. But did we really have like a lot of enjoyment with this team? Like the Marcus Jones walk off touchdown, that was awesome. But also remember, the Patriots offense scored three points in that game, right? The comeback against the Bengals was fun, but then you had the fumble. The Vegas game was fun, but then you had Jacoby Myers throwing the ball to Chandler Jones. And you again, as we alluded to with this defense, you had no signature wins and you're going backwards as an organization. Like this team was better last year. Obviously, they went 10 and 7. So we have to be real about what we saw this season. That was an epic failure. I don't know how you would describe this season other than a failure for the Patriots. You make the playoffs last year with a rookie quarterback. You're supposed to take a step forward in year two. There's no other way to describe this year other than it's a failure. And you have a lot of questions going forward with this team. The offense was a complete dumpster fire. We saw signs today, but that's it. They didn't sustain it. You look since week eight. 37.2% success rate for the offense. The only team worse than them in that particular category was the Houston Texans. They came into the game today 29th in first downs. And look, Mac was set up to fail. I will acknowledge that with Patricia and Joe Judge. And you know I'm not the biggest Mac guy, and I'll get to him in a second here, but Bill making this decision to go with Patricia just crippled the franchise this season, right? Because now you got to find a new offensive coordinator, whether it's Bill O'Brien or not, and... You almost like have to look at Mac Jones and say, hey, do we just kind of look at this year and say, "Eh, yeah, let's get him with a better offensive coordinator before we make an accurate assessment of the player. So essentially, going back to this whole theme of this season was a failure, you wasted a year with your quarterback on a rookie contract when all these quarterbacks on rookie contracts that are good, that's when their teams are going for it. That's when their teams are trying to win Super Bowls because you can load up the rest of the roster. Look at the Philadelphia Eagles right now with a guy like Jalen Hurts, right? And then another thing that I would mention, too, is you look at some of these signings the Patriots have made. John U. Smith, who didn't play today because he's still dealing with an injury. I was texting Bill about him yesterday. So in total money, he's eighth among tight ends at $50 million, 31.2 in fully guaranteed money for tight ends. You know where that ranks in the NFL among that position? Second. And this is what you get from the guy. 245 yards, 37th of 42 qualified tight ends, 27 receptions. That's 37th of 42 qualified tight ends. And you're paying this guy the second most guaranteed money for the position. So this was an example of, hey, you went out, you tried to outsmart everybody two years ago, right? Where you got the two tight ends. And the reason you did that, because you missed on two tight ends in the draft. But Bill was doing this for years, right? Where he could get somebody from a different organization, bring them here, and they would get more out of the player. You think about Kyle Van Noy. You think about Wes Welker. Those guys were way better when they got to the Patriots than their previous destinations. I mean, Van Noy, people were talking about him like he was a bust, right? But guys came here and made other teams look stupid. Mike Vrabel, that's another example, right? But now because of the Patricia mess, Mac's underwhelming season, we forget about this type of stuff, right? Like, it's all about Patricia. It's all about Mac. You drafted two tight ends, didn't work out. And this mistake with the John Smith signing is actually worse because of the money you're allocating to that guy. And you've got no production out of him whatsoever so it is another thing to just sort of remember in terms of yeah this all this all all this stuff went wrong but if you just had a superstar level player offensively as a weapon it would be different and you're paying John Jonu Smith like he's one of the best tight ends at the NFL and he's not even close to that he doesn't even look like an NFL tight end at times all right now on to Mac real quickly here so he entered today he threw for 243 today as we mentioned but 21st in passing yards per game 25th in passer rating 23rd in yards per attempt. Think about all the quarterbacks this year that have sort of passed him, right? So remember, before last season, or I should say before this season and after last season, people in the Patriots fan base were talking about, oh, look, the the Patriots got the best quarterback in the draft. He's better than Trevor Lawrence. No, he's not. I never bought into that shit to begin with, but Trevor Lawrence is way better than Mac Jones. It's not even close, but people were making the argument last year. Daniel Jones had a better year than Mac Jones. He passed Mac because Mac was ahead of him last year. Justin Fields, he passed Mac. And I know his passing numbers don't look great, but you saw him on Monday Night Football. You know what that guy can do from a running perspective. That guy's better than Mac. Tua passed Mac. And maybe you could say, hey, they were neck and neck, but Tua is definitely better than Mac. Maybe you like Jalen Hurts better than Mac last year, but Jalen Hurts is way better than Mac Jones. So like Mac is a bottom third quarterback in the NFL. That's just the reality. So my whole thing is, what's the case for this guy going forward? What's the case that he is your guy? Watch these other quarterbacks, okay? These other young quarterbacks in the league. And you tell me that Mac looks like them because I don't see it. All those other guys have special traits. And Mac's the type of quarterback where everything is going to have to be right for him. It's going to have to be perfect, sort of like the Jimmy Garoppolo situation in San Francisco, right? He needs great coaching and he needs great players around him. And obviously, he didn't have either one of those today or this season, I should say. And you look at Mac this year and you can even look throughout his career. This is how I know that Mac Jones is not somebody that's going to carry an organization. Here are Mac's numbers for his career when he's trailing in games. He completes 63.7% of his passes, 18 touchdowns, and 17 interceptions. 17 interceptions actually make it 19 after the two that he threw today. So that's the problem with Mac Jones, is Mac Jones is never going to get you out of a hole. He doesn't have the ability to do so. So if you just go ahead and you look at this from a Patriots perspective... The quarterback hasn't proven that he can beat you, right? So all these other teams that are game planning for the Patriots, they know, hey, Mac's not going to be able to beat us. Like, if we just get a lead early in the game or we control terms, we play on our terms, Mac Jones is not coming back and beating us. He does not have the ability to do it, right? He seems like, to me, he's a guy that could be along for the ride if everything fit perfectly, but he's never going to be an elite player. So if you can convince me that the roster is going to be stacked like we see in San Francisco, And you can convince me that he's going to get good coaching. Fine. Like, I'm okay rolling with Mac Jones. But I just I think it's very difficult to make those two promises, especially when we see the state of the Patriots offensive roster right now. And look, I know that he's limited in terms of what he can do from a skill standpoint and is limited for what's around him. But I just I can't look at Mac Jones and say, like, I know this guy is the quarterback for the Patriots for the next decade or so. He may have a nice season like two ahead this year before the injury when his roster was perfect, but most seasons are not going to be that perfect, right? And what's even another thing with Mac is, okay, let's look at it from this perspective. What's the super tool? What's the thing that Mac does better than most guys in the NFL? His arm isn't good, right? (laughs) He doesn't have like a Josh Allen arm. He doesn't throw with velocity at all, right? He's in the lower third in terms of arm strength. I think we'd all agree on that. He isn't Justin Herbert. He's not Pat Mahomes in terms of his ability to throw off platform either. He can't throw the ball on the move like an Aaron Rodgers can. He's not athletic, so he can't add to the running game like, say, Jalen Hurts or Josh Allen, although they tried to run with him at one point today during the game in the red zone. So this whole idea is he's smart, right? That's like the thing about Mac. Oh, he's smart. He's a He's accurate. He's a smart decision maker. Well, He's the worst quarterback in the NFL against the Blitz. Nobody's worse than Mac Jones from a numbers perspective in terms of his passer rating against the Blitz this season. So if he's so smart, how come he can't beat the Blitz? And then the other thing is, well, can he keep plays alive? Can he improvise, right? Like when Mac Jones doesn't get rid of the ball quickly, He panics. You can see that he panics. Like Joe Burrow, for example. Can he be like Joe Burrow, who more than two and a half seconds, Joe Burrow is incredible. Well, Mac Jones is 19th in passer rating when he has the ball for more than two and a half seconds. So we can try to convince ourselves that it's going to be a lot better with a new coordinator next year. And it certainly will improve. It cannot be worse than Matt Patricia was this season. And Mac will be a little bit better for getting that new offensive coordinator, being actually helped by the coaching staff instead of hurt like he was for the majority of this season. But I've watched this for two years now, and nothing has me thinking, even like the good first half he had today, nothing has me thinking that this is the next great Patriots quarterback. I just don't see it. So I just feel like to sort of put a bow on this whole thing about this season, it just feels like a waste. It just feels like you got nothing out of this season whatsoever. And we, as fans, didn't really get entertainment value either. And now you're wondering long and hard, or at least I would be, if I was a member of that coaching staff. Are we sure this is the guy that's going to get us over the top? Because from my perspective, I just don't see it. I don't see Mac ever being an elite quarterback in this league. All right, a lot more to get into. We'll check in with James White in just a little bit. We'll get his thoughts on the season and the loss to the Bills today.
1: This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with $25,000 Tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube. Car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com.
0: Welcome back into Off the Pike. Joining us now, three-time Super Bowl champ, James White. James, what's going on, man?
2: Not much, man. Tough ending, but they fought. You know, they scratched, they clawed. Obviously, they gave up you know, too many big plays, kickoff returns and a couple big plays on the offensive side of the ball in that second half. And that's really was the you know, the tale of the story for me. Yeah, right James. Game. So
0: <laughs> before we get into the game in general, I mean, what was just your reaction this week, right? Because you saw the whole NFL sort of gathered together after what happened to DeMar Hamlin on Monday Night Football before the game in Buffalo today was absolutely crazy. I know that The Buffalo Bills coaching staff praised Bill a lot for him reaching out to them, asking whatever they needed in terms of help. But What was your whole reaction to everything that happened this week? And did you reach out to any of the guys on the team?
2: I didn't reach out to any of the guys on on our team, but it was just a tough situation as a whole. It was tough to see, you know, as a football player, as a fan, you know, as a family member, friend, anything. It was just nobody had ever really seen anything like that watching a game of football, especially on national television where you know millions and millions of people are watching you know my my heart hurt for you know for him his family you know the buffalo bills to to witness that in person and to see you know your brother your your son laying on the field lifeless like right in front of your eyes that's like i, like I was getting emotional watching it and like I, I don't even know him but i think that's why everybody kind of reacted the way they did as far as you know you know, donating to his foundation, wishing him nothing but the best, just hoping we got good news, which it seems like he's progressing every single day. And he seems like a really good person. And like I say, he, he's done so much for his community ever since his college days and still does it in the NFL. He seems like he has a really good spirit. And it's just amazing, you know, what the world can do when everybody comes together for one common thing. That was the beautiful part about it and to see him progress as well. But it was, it was hard to, to watch that for sure. And I know, Those guys were emotional. It was almost hard. Like, I I didn't think they would play the game, you know, today. But I think with, you know, him progressing so fast, I think that definitely helped them for sure. And obviously, (laughs) they got the jump start to the game that they really want.
0: Yeah, well, and too, like, We really started to hear the good news Wednesday night and then into Thursday morning. And I think that's when like the players felt a lot more comfortable about going out and playing. But yeah, to your point, it is kind of crazy, right? So (laughs) like as a Patriots fan, you hated to see that return for a touchdown, like on the opening kickoff. But you're thinking, man, this is this is crazy. Like right after the situation with DeMar Hammond, like the first play of the game, they return it for a touchdown. I mean, it was I, I can't imagine what it would have been like to be in the stadium today. I'm sure it was like chilling to see that.
2: Yeah, I'm sure there was a lot of emotions like I said, on both sides, for the players, the fans, everybody. And like I said, that was – then that kind of, you know, kind of knocked everything kind of out of the window, kind of got that pass. And I'm glad the Patriots were able to respond after that. You know, usually when stuff like that happens after, you know, all those guys went through this past week, it's usually kind of like a tidal wave and you can't really stop them. But the Patriots responded and, like I said, they had their opportunities to to win that football game more than enough. just – they just couldn't make the plays when they ran the most.
0: Yeah, well, and on that end, like, you think about the first half of this game, James, and I don't know how many times you and I have talked about the fact that, hey, man, they should use more play action. And, like, the whole first half, Mac, like, yeah, all his sure. dropbacks it felt like were play action. It was eight great in the first half. And then you think about, like, we're talking about the red zone. Can you be more creative down there? And they had that play where they bring Marcus Jones onto the field. Mm-hmm. He goes in motion, sort of creates yeah. some chaos for the defense. So, like. My old thing was, James, I'm watching it and I'm like, OK, this is great. But where has this been? Like, why haven't they dug yeah. into any of this stuff all season long? Because, I mean, that offense, they, they were clicking for a little bit there in the first half.
2: Yeah, most definitely. They like they had all these same weapons all year long. But I think, like I said, with Matty P being first time offensive coordinator, it kind of takes time to figure out you know, what's going to work for your offense and what your identity is going to be. And I think they figured that out a little too late. But at the same time, they still had the opportunity to Go out, won that football game today to get into the playoffs and get where they wanted to be. And I think their identity was stretch the field, play action, verticals, check the ball down, run the football. That's, and that's tough for defenses to stop. And Buffalo Bills is a good defense. They were struggling to stop those guys. But it's a little too late. And I, like I said, I don't think you can blame, blame Matty P for that game because I think he drew up a great game plan. And I said they dialed it up just right. I know Mac had a couple costly turnovers, like especially the one – after halftime, that was huge for sure. But the defense responded quick. They just didn't score after that, just like three points. But you hope for a touchdown in those situations, especially getting the ball right there in their territory. But, man, it's just tough. But it was, it was a fun game to watch, though, for sure.
0: Yeah, and the two picks. So, obviously, at had three, but the last one was sort of a different yeah, situation. Three, yeah. <laughs> where, yeah, bounced off Damian Harris. But yeah. the first one, the one to Aguilar, that to me was like the killer in the game, right? Because to your point, it's 14-14. to 14. You're coming out of halftime. You're moving the ball well. I just felt like from the outset that was a bad decision, right? Because first of all, you have the best defensive back in the other team, Tre'Davious White, covering Nelson Aguilar. No offense to Aguilar, he's not your best receiver. And it just felt like that was almost James. It felt like was it to you? Did it look like that was almost like Mac predetermined? Like that's where he was going there?
2: Yeah, I think that was one of the first plays I saw Nelly in. That might have been like his only play I really saw him in the entire game. And I think maybe he just. You know, had fresh legs in there where Nelly can get by. He can get by pretty much any DB in the in the league. I don't think he just wanted to take a shot. It's a little too aggressive. But I say if you want to do it, still you got to read it out. You know, Tredavis Tr- White was on top of him the entire time. So just if you're going to do that, just throw it out of bounds where only your receiver can get it and kind of move on from there. Because that that definitely was a huge drive in the game, especially after the defense got that stop before halftime and they were working the ball down the field. That had a, been a big blow to that, te- to that team. They were able to get seven on that drive.
0: What about the Hunter Henry one? Because that play, it's third and twenty. You know, you're sort of in four down territory, right? Based on the time and the score. What did you make of it? Do you think he just missed them, or do you think it was a bad decision?
2: I think he just missed them. I think I think that's all it was. But like I said, there's just so many little missed opportunities. I think that's kind of what's been all year long, in a sense. Like yeah. even when even when the offense wasn't flowing, they'd have like opportunities for big plays and just be a little miss and then you never get that play back again. There's they're just searching. But today they have they created those big plays. I like I said Devontae Parker was a huge pickup. They did a great job of finding him, throw it up to him, let him make a play. Jacoby was running around. They they're trying to get everybody involved. The the backs did great did a great job running the football, checking it down to him. They were making plays. And I think like I said that's the kind of the identity I wanted to see all year long you know, not just screens and run the ball and slants, which was kind of their identity for the most part of the year when they have a lot of weaponry. I think, like I said, as the season went on, I think Matty P started to figure out, you know, how to kind of use those guys best. And I said, if he is offensive coordinator next year, I think he'll have a better grasp of everything. And hopefully, I said, they can keep some of those guys around to kind of keep some of that camaraderie and, you know, kind of move forward because I think they have a, a, a good young core for sure. Like this year's draft class played a, You know, a huge role all year long. And, you know, I think those guys can carry that over moving forward because, you know, we don't know the certainty of, you know, Devin coming back, Slate coming back, which would be, you know, huge losses from a a culture standpoint and and a player standpoint, kind of keeping things together. So, definitely be a lot of, you know, things that need to be answered going in the next year.
0: Yeah. And how about those two guys, too, if they do retire, like huge games for them. McCourty had the fumble recovery and the pick. And Slater, of course, had the play as the gunner where it went off the dude's foot for uh, the Bills and recovers there. So that was obviously two massive plays or three massive plays for those guys. Oh, speaking of the special teams, though, James, what was going on with the kicking game? Like and then they tried to (laughs) squib kick it and you get a 15 yard penalty, man. Like we've been talking about the punting situation all season long, how that's been an issue. But man, the kicking game was horrible today.
2: Yeah, it was, it was bad, you know, from the get-go. You know, first kickoff, returned to the house. We gave up contain. Pretty much everybody was, you know, almost on one side of the field. He bounced it outside. Nobody was there, and that guy's a track star, so nobody's going to catch him. And the second time, it was just poor tackling. I know Miles had an opportunity to wrap him up. I think it might have been Tavai had an opportunity with a little arm tackle, slow him down, and obviously Nick Folk's not going to do anything in that <laughs> in that situation. But... Just gotta do a better job of that, especially in big football games. You know, turnovers and big plays are easy ways to lose football games if, you know, you're trying to fight for a spot in the playoffs and just gave up too many of those today.
0: Yeah, no doubt about it. So Maco going forward, James, what do you think is like the biggest thing that he has to do better in year three compared to year two? Or and what do they have to do to help him get better next season?
2: I think like we've been saying all year, just more play action. More taking shots down the field, I think for him is just protect the football from the beginning of the season like he did his rookie year. I think like, obviously there's a lot going on going into this year with, you know, the offensive coordinator situation and you know, quote unquote him not agreeing with what's going on and all the rumors and all that stuff. So I feel like that was kind of the whole thing that was in his head in the beginning of the year. I think kind of towards the halfway point when he got back from injury, he started to, you know, kind of calm down and reset and just trust what he sees, tra- take the coaching and just take the profit. And, I mean, when you have opportunities to throw it down the field, then do it, which he's a, he's a really accurate passer when he has time to throw it. And I said, that first half, he was extremely locked in. Even, even the second half, he was locked in aside from, you know, the two interceptions. But I said, I thought he played a good game. He, I think he's still the quarterback for the future. I know everybody's trying to write him off a little bit. He's only in his second year. And I think he played, you know, pretty well that, that back half of the season, showing that he could still be the starter for this team, or should still be the starter
0: Well, and the other thing, too, is like, what are they going to do for him in terms of the rest of the offense? Right. Because Isaiah, Wynn, we know there's issues there in the offensive line, Isaiah, Wynn is probably gone next year, we'll see what happens with Trent Brown. Cole Strange will be coming into his second year in the NFL. So the offensive line, we'll see what they do with that, if they're going to switch some of the things up there. And then the other thing would be they have all this money, right, that's coming off the books and they're going to have a lot of salary cap space this upcoming offseason. You think that the Patriots should go after another weapon, like a premier weapon, like we've seen what A.J. Brown did for helping Jalen Hurts. We saw what Tyreek Hill has done for a guy like Tua. I mean, even to a lesser extent, like a veteran like Kirk Cousins, when he got Justin Jefferson, I mean, look what he's done the past couple of years. So I do wonder if the Patriots will get into the market for sort of that star level receiver. I know they like a lot of the guys they have, obviously, and they have guys that can do certain things, but they just don't have that. Number one guy, like for so yeah. many years, Brady had Gronk that you knew, OK, Gronk's on the field. It's major issues for the team on the other yeah. side. I just wonder if they need to try to get one of those
2: studs. Yeah, they're definitely going to have to. I know Jacoby's a free agent. Nelson's a free agent. I'm not sure what everybody else's contract. I don't know if Devontae would be back or whatnot. So there's definitely going to be holes at that receiver position. I definitely need to bring in you know, a guy if they don't retain a guy like Jacoby, who's been in the system for some time. To help Mac out for sure, I said, be a threat on every single play where the defense has to – where that player kind of dictates coverage and kind of opens up for everybody else when he's not, you know, isolated. So that definitely will help. And like I said, I think on the defensive side, I think they did a great job this year. I know everybody kind of has some questions as far as, you know, the corners and things of those nature. But those guys, they, they held their own for the most part all year long. You know, they – you're gonna give up plays no matter who you are at cornerback, and I thought they responded, competed hard, no matter you know what the matchups was. I think you got to give Jay Jones a lot of credit. First year playing, you know, essentially the number one corner, you know, for us all year long. And he competed against some tough guys. He you know he made his plays. He got beat sometimes, but he got back out there, and like I said he, he made a lot of turnovers this year for sure too. So you've got to give him a lot of credit for that.
0: Yeah. And Jacoby Myers, who you mentioned, that was an unbelievable catch he made today yeah, yeah, yeah. in the back of the end zone. Like in real time, I'm like, did he really catch that? And you yeah. see the replay, you're like, oh my God. So yeah, I'm with you. They got to bring him back just because, I mean, you look at it, he's Mac's most dependable receiver, right? Yeah. So you, especially if you're trying to help Mac build with his confidence going forward, you got to bring Jacoby Myers back. He's going to get a nice payday too. It's not like it's an unbelievably great receiver market if you will yeah. it, ordinarily it's not like if you have a number one receiver you usually get him signed so we'll see what they do with Jacoby Myers um on the defensive side you mentioned the progress they made I thought the end of the season especially the past two weeks Barmore's been really good for them we yeah. saw what Uche did this season where he emerged mm. into a premier pass rusher in the league Judon had a really good season I thought he played well again today Duggar has turned into like he's in the handful of best safeties in the NFL I mean yeah. he's that good <laughs> we'll see what happens with McCourty, but. Even Marcus Jones, I felt, had a good rookie season. Jack Jones, although we know like he got suspended at the end for <laughs> missing out or showing up late <laughs> true, to his rehab true,
2: yeah. and all
0: that. But it does feel like from a defensive perspective going into 2023 that this team is pretty well put together. Like I don't really think they need a ton defensively. I know people are worried about the linebacking core, but they held up pretty much all season as well.
2: Yeah, they definitely did. Um, I said there's defense, and they still have a pretty young core that they can keep around that defensive front. It's going to be really good for you know to as long as all those guys can stay together. That's a really good front, and on the back end, you don't have to you know cover for too long. We have guys, four or five guys, who can rotate and get in there, you know, stop the run and get to the pass. Those guys are really, really good. And I said the young secondary, you know, Marcus Jones, you know, Miles held his own, Jack Jones, those those guys do a great job coming into the second year. They'll have you know more responsibility and go out there play with a little bit more confidence and. Obviously, if Devin doesn't come back, you've got to have to have a guy who can play that middle of the field like him. He's kind of, you know, the captain of the defense. He can straighten things out when things aren't properly done. And, you know, maybe a guy, you know, Duggar plays a little bit more in the box. I don't really see him filling that role. So they definitely have to find a guy who can, you know, cover from sideline to sideline and make all the adjustments if he doesn't come back.
0: Yeah, and. We criticized Matt Patricia a lot this season. I'm not saying you, but we, like, people criticize Matt Patricia a lot this season for his <laughs> play calling. And I do feel like maybe Steve Belichick and Gerard Mayo got, like, underrated because yeah. that was, like, the talking <laughs> point all season long, right? Was the <laughs> offense. What's wrong with the offense? And. We were talking about Steve Belichick last year. like People were concerned, well, is he going to be a good defensive play caller, etc.? I mean, they had a really good year. I mean, they had Josh Allen completely off balance in the first half. I mean, he was flummoxed at times in this game. I mean, he made the outstanding play later on in the game, like a ridiculous throw to Stephon (laughs) Diggs. But all in all, I thought Steve Belichick, Gerard Mayo, they both had really good seasons.
2: Yeah, got to give those guys a lot of credit. I know people question Steve and all that and give Mayo a lot of credit. And like I said, the defense is really the big reason why the team was in the position to make the playoffs right now because the offense you know, was really up and down all year long. And, you know, Steve, Gerard, they did a great job of designing game plans based on, you know, the opponent they were going up against. And they handled pretty much every team, probably aside from well, the Bears, they got beat up a little bit and pretty much the Vikings, I think, handled them pretty good, things of that nature. But they did a great job all year long. and they said definitely have to keep those guys around. Hopefully Mayo doesn't slip away somewhere else and gets a coaching job because he's he's a good, good dude. Obviously, he's a good football player He's passionate about the game. I think he can be a really good head coach one day or, you know, full time defensive coordinator if he somehow gets that job. So definitely try and retain him for sure.
0: Yeah. And it would be tough to lose him, especially if you lose Devin McCourty, too. Like that's yeah. a lot to lose in terms <laughs> of the brain trust back there. All right. So what have you thought of we talked about the decision josh mcdaniels made but what have you thought of Jarrett stidham so far i mean he's better than i thought he was i mean he's he's more athletic than i thought he was as well i mean he's showed ability to like throw the ball in the run i know obviously it wasn't great yesterday but yeah. you think he's a starting quarterback in the nfl
2: i think he can compete for a starting job i don't think anybody's gonna you know just say he's gonna be our number one guy but i think Jarrett is an extremely talented guy like i said he was Coming to that 2020 year, we were everybody was thinking we were rolling with him until we signed Cam. And said so he has the arm talent. He has the the brains to do it. Like like you said, he came in last week versus, you know, arguably the best defense in the league in the 49ers. And he, he was, you know, kind of shredding them up a little bit. I know he had the one or two interceptions, whatever it was, but he he did a great job handling himself. He was poised, you know, stood standing there, in the pocket with pressure. And that's a great defensive front. So a lot of quarterbacks panic. I think Patrick Mahomes is one of the few guys who had a good game against them all year long this year. So I think he did a great job of showing what he can do going to, you know, this next upcoming season. And I think some some team's gonna have him competing for a starting job for sure.
0: All right. And then Brady's getting ready, of course, for another postseason, even though the team did not have a great season. But I'm wondering, James, when you played with Tom and he was like getting ready for the postseason, when he would tweet out those uh, videos, like the pump-up videos? Did you guys watch those? Or is that just like the fans watch those? Because some of them are really, they were really well done. Yeah, like yeah. I remember the one, and you guys end up losing the game to the Titans. But the one that he had for the Titans, I'm like, all right, now I really yeah. think the Patriots are going to win.
2: Yeah, he, whoever he has running his social media, they, they got some good material. You definitely check it out before the game when you're sitting in the locker room. Now, a bunch of guys doing now, kind of, I don't know who started it um, on, he started the whole, whole movement with that thing. But it's pretty cool how those guys kind of get interact with the fans and get guys pumped up and ready to watch the football game. But I think, you know, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, I don't think a lot of teams want to see those guys first round of the playoffs either. I mean, obviously they struggled all year long, but you all know what can happen when that guy gets gets fired up in a playoff game. You don't want to have that ball in his hands on the last possession because you know what's going to happen. So it's going to be interesting to see. If they can work things out, but it's hard to kind of just just flip that switch, though. But if anybody can do it, it's going to be Tom Brady. <laughs> what
0: was he like before those games? Like, w- was he a big rah rah guy in the locker room before these games, like firing everybody up, or was he kind of like in his own world? Like, what was he like?
2: Um, uh, I mean, he's pretty much in his own world. I mean, our locker room is kind of different from probably any other locker room, probably in the NFL, probably. 99 percent of locker rooms they probably have like a speaker blasting music where everybody can you know dance around all that stuff ours like you gotta wear headphones like there's no music being blasted like <laughs> it's fairly really? silent. yeah it's fairly silent like in there <laughs> wait is that a somebody, bill rule is that yeah, bill's rule yeah like there's <laughs> no speakers in there blasting music all things of that nature so, so it's a little different so nobody's really you know rah-rah and pumping up aside from maybe when you're just about to go out on the field, like and after bill speaks, like Tom will say his piece, like a few words, like to get people going, but definitely never really a rah-rah guy. But I think it just kind of depends on, you know, the status of the team, how much, how vocal he is. If there's guys who have, you know, been there before and you don't, you don't really need to say too much to kind of get guys going. And he's, you know, just locked in laser focus, not too vocal, you know, besides if he needs to say something, but like, I think this year he'll probably be a little bit more vocal because they've struggled some. So he's kind of been vocal <laughs> all year long. So I think he'll be very vocal to the Buccaneers this, this playoff run.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. I never knew that about the music thing. That's <laughs> yeah. weird. I mean, you yeah. figured a guy like Gronk would want the music, like, blaring in there or so, somebody like uh, that. I mean, that's kind of crazy. That kind yes. of Well, so who, who was, like, the loudest? Was Edelman loud, like, in the locker room before the game? Was he, like, was he one of the guys that fired people up or no?
2: Not really, no. Like I said, there's not really much going on in that locker room before the game, like as far as, <laughs> you know, people getting crunk and all that stuff and, you know, spamming their head against the wall and all that stuff, you know. all you have guys sniffing like the little smelling salts of that nature. That's about it. Everything else, everybody has their headphones on and, you know, getting get locked in in their own way.
0: All right, James, before I let you go, I wanted to ask you about this. I know you didn't play with them. obviously. You were in the second dynasty, not the first dynasty, but – I just can't understand how Rodney Harrison again is not a finalist to get into the Hall of Fame. I mean, this is, you look at some of this stuff, it's ridiculous, right? He's got 30 sacks and 30 picks. The only other guy in the history of the NFL to do that is Ray Lewis. Like, I just don't understand how there's a Hall of Fame and that guy's not in it. I mean, Bill has said on multiple occasions that he completely changed the defense when they brought him in in 2003. Like, I I just don't get it. Like, as a former Patriot, does it irritate you guys at all that, like, it feels like outside of Bill and Tom, like the rest of the players don't get a lot of credit for the dynasty, where I feel like the Patriots should be more well-represented in the Hall of Fame than they are.
2: Yeah, definitely. And I think a lot of guys get snubbed for sure. It's, you never know what the criteria actually is. Some guys get in with less statistics. Some guys get in with all the statistics. But I think Rodney Harrison is one of those guys. He was a game changer. He was a tone setter. He was vocal. He hit you in the face, let you know about it, you know, could play the run, play the pass. and you know he did it for a couple teams as well, so that stands out to me for sure. I think he's definitely deserving of it, and I think he'll get in eventually. It's just it's just so hard. There's a, there's a lot of guys that get passed over. And I think of like a guy you know who I grew up watching. I wasn't a Dolphin fan, but like Zach Thomas, like I think he he should have been in the Hall of Fame a while ago. I know he's a smaller guy, underrated, and the, their teams probably didn't make the playoffs really ever. But he just was a, a very dominant football player, and just you know you never know what the I think they kind of have like a layout of what the criteria is for getting selected in because nobody really knows at this point
0: (laughs) yeah i mean it's just it's it's kind of infuriating how like some guys are easily getting in when you're like wait hold on that guy's in the hall of fame (laughs) and then there's guys like rodney where you're like wait he's not even in the final 15 like how is that remotely possible so it is kind of aggravating i know we'll get from this dy- The second dynasty, Gronk will obviously go in on the first yeah. ballot. Tom will go in on the first ballot. Yeah. Well, I guess Revis technically played for you guys for a year, yeah, but I mean, well, he's going, yeah. he's, yeah, he's a, jet. a jet. <laughs> I mean, that's like the greatest hired gun of all time, man. Comes yeah. in for a year and ends it's up being bomb. like, obviously, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm going to go, I'm going to go get what, like 60 million guaranteed from the Jets. It worked out yeah. perfectly. It, you know yeah. what? That's kind of sweet from a Patriots perspective is like, so he's known as a Jet. And he's probably the greatest Jet in recent history for sure, mm-hmm. right? I mean, hes you could make an argument. He's one of the top two to three cornerbacks to ever play the game. And he won a Super Bowl with the Patriots. Like, it's kind of <laughs> <Yeah>. sweet.
2: <laughs> yeah, was, we stole him for a year. He got what he wanted and he went back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Let them pay the money, right? He just yeah. comes here for, to get the ring. That was pretty sweet. <laughs> All right, that is three-time Super Bowl champ James White. James, great talk with you throughout the season, man. Really enjoyed it. Thanks so much for joining us each and every week, man. We loved it.
2: No problem. Appreciate you having me, Brian. I enjoy myself.
1: This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can scare an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. restrictions all play. see website for details
0: welcome back into off the pike great stuff from james white it was a lot of fun chatting with james after pretty much every game this season it's great having a guy that played for the patriots organization knows bill belichick well knows the organization well so that was a lot of fun chatting with james each and every week all right let's get to a couple of your calls 617-396-7172 the number 617-396-7172 who's up first Hey Brian Scott from New Hampshire I uh, love the show um, what argument is there that bill should keep his job you know whether it's head coach or GM uh, that doesn't lean on the six rings you know I, I know that sounds crazy, but for years Bill would move on from players a year early rather than a year late you know why can't the same logic apply here? Path went from eight straight AFC championship games or Super Bowls to now four years in a row of a first-round exit, uh, the last of which was horrendous against the Bills, or, you know, missing the playoffs entirely. You know, obviously you can, you know, partially blame Mac, you know, the roster overall, the coaching, but Bill had a role in all of it. So why should Kraft keep him, and how likely is it that they ultimately part ways, whether, you know, after this season or beyond? Well, it's a fair question. There's a lot of meat on the bone there. So let me just start with this. So Bill had a really bad season. I don't think anybody can argue to the contrary. Think about this, right? I mean, he's the guy that decided Matt Patricia and Joe Judge are going to be in charge of his offense. And that clearly screwed with his quarterback. And you really weren't productive whatsoever. You were one of the worst offenses in the NFL this season with a guy that you felt like is the future of the organization in Mac Jones. That's on Bill. It's Bill's fault that Matt Patricia was the play caller. And to your point about Kraft, I do believe that Kraft has to step in this offseason where he has to say, you know what, enough of this shit with it's all your relatives and it's all these people you know on your coaching staff. Like Matt Patricia, nobody else in the NFL would have had Matt Patricia as their offensive play caller this season. It was a complete disgrace. So Kraft does have to step in when it comes to that. But in terms of moving on from Bill, I can't see it. I understand your point about moving on earlier rather than later, but I would look at it from this perspective as well. Think about the choice that Robert made a couple of years ago. He chose Bill over Tom. He chose that, hey, Bill's going to be able to coach longer than Tom's going to be able to play. That was Bill's decision. Now, he can deny it all he wants and say it was Tom's decision to leave. Bill chose, or I should say, Robert chose to keep Bill, okay? Okay. And if he wanted to keep Tom, he could have said, all right, Bill, unless you sign Tom, you're getting fired and Brady's going to be the quarterback going forward. He didn't do that. He chose Bill. So I think it would look really bad for Kraft if he moves on from Belichick now, because what that essentially is is doing is it's acknowledging he messed up the first thing by letting Tom Brady walk. So I don't see them moving on from Belichick. Now, one interesting thing, and Callahan brought this up the other day, is if Bill O'Brien's here. Could Bill O'Brien be the guy that eventually takes the job over from Bill Belichick? So in a weird way, O'Brien is kind of a threat to Bill if he comes in and he's the offensive play caller. All right, who's up next?
3: Brian, patient season wrapping up here, coming to an end. Can't help but feel like this was just a wasted season. This past team had a lot of infrastructure to be a good team, really. Uh, you look at the defense and their ability to score, you look at some of the really young, exciting prospects that are on this team. And you think back over the season of how many times they were so close to winning games that they just couldn't make it happen. First time against Miami felt like a, a really winnable game that just slipped through. Uh The Raiders, uh the, the Vikings game on Thanksgiving, just time after time after time, this team was right there and just didn't have the pieces to make it happen. And, and Ultimately, kind of a comedy of errors. Happy to see it come to an end. Hope that they nailed this this draft pick that we have a new offensive and special teams coordinator coming into the new season and kind of see uh, maybe a, a new look for this team. But uh, honestly, good to get it over with. Hope the Bills thrash Miami because uh, they don't deserve to be there either. And uh, go pass. Love the show. Thanks for everything always. Like. Go season, go bees.
0: No doubt about the season, the bees. I'm with you on that, man. It's going to be a fun rest of the winter and into the springtime with both those teams because they're both going to make deep runs into the postseason. But to your point, we're, short, we're speaking the same language when it comes to the season being over. Like, I'm sort of relieved. Like, this team was not fun to watch. I let off the show talking about that. They really were frustrating. They had bizarre ways to lose games. They found bizarre ways to lose games. They made dumb plays. It was just, it was not a typical Patriots team that we've seen for so many years. So I'm with you. And in terms of a wasted season, I would agree because you didn't learn a lot about your quarterback. The offensive system was so bad (laughs) that you could justify saying, hey, Mac needs another year with this crazy thing, which is called the professional offensive coordinator, not just Bill's friend in Matt Patricia. So I'm completely with you. I, I would say this season was a failure. How could it not be? You made it to the postseason last year. Your quarterback was good last year, at least pretty good for a rookie. And now you're wondering, hey, is this the guy to lead this Patriots franchise into the future, and you have to replace the offensive coordinator. There's no way Patricia's going to be back. So I'm with you, man. This season was an epic failure. All right, who's up next?
3: Hey, Brian, Jesse from Chicago, big fan of the show here. Um, Thank God the season's over. Um, The one thing the season isn't lacking is people to be pissed off at. So I wanted to read you my uh, shit list for the 2022 Patriots season. Um, in order and I wanted to see your shit list. Um number one, Cam Akard, our special teams coach. Number two, Matt Patricia for obvious reasons. Number three, Johnny Smith. Is he on the team? I'm I'm not sure. Does he do anything? He might be hurt. I don't care. He sucks. Number three, number four rather, Nelson Aguilar, just a fucking loser. Bum. Uh number five, Bill Belichick, you know. Just hired all these idiot people, wasn't accountable, and we were horrible because of it.
0: Number six, I guess, Mac Jones, but I can't really blame him.
3: Want to hear your list. Thanks.
0: All right, it's a good list, and I'm with you for the most part on who you have there. The John W. Smith one's a good one. We mentioned that earlier, like it's just such a disaster as it pertains to the contract. I would put Bill first on the list just because he ultimately made the decision in terms of if we're pointing fingers at who to blame for this season, the first guy I would point to is Bill because he ultimately decided that Patricia is the guy. Number two on the list, I would put Patricia just because he was horrible at his job. Uh, Cam Accord, that's a good one. He could be third on the list if you really want to put it that way. But the thing that I would say about Accord is the same thing I'd say about Patricia. The special teams was a problem last year. And that's what I thought when they brought back Joe Judge that ultimately he was going to take Cam Accord's job. That wasn't the case. Cam Accord, they need to move on from him. I would agree because this is now two years running. And that was a joke today. I mean, that was an absolute disaster in terms of two kickoff returns for touchdowns. And then the squib kick, where you get a 15-yard penalty. Like he needs to be held accountable. The punting situation was the worst in the NFL this season, by the numbers. So he would be relatively high on my list. Nelson Aguilar, like I'm not going to put him on my list just because of the fact that I never thought he was a good player. I never liked the contract when they actually signed him. So I wouldn't put him on there. John sure, because John was just a complete disaster and. The Patriots thought that he was going to be this, like, incredible player for them, and he essentially has given them nothing since he came over. I would put Mac pretty high on the list, too, because, look, I understand, as you pointed out, he was put in a bad situation, but he didn't play well this season. Bottom line, he didn't play well. You didn't win one game this year because of your quarterback. You didn't. That's the reality of it, and I didn't like the way that he handled himself on the field a lot, and I understand how he's aggravated with Matt Patricia, but... Some of the stuff that he was doing on the field, some of that shit is just childish. You can't be doing that. So I would put Mack pretty high on the list, too. But number one would be Bill. I mean, Bill's the one that ruined the offense. There's no way around it. All right. Thanks so much for the voicemails. Remember that number 617-396-7172, 617-396-7172. All right. One note outside of the game today that I wanted to touch on real quickly because this news broke on Friday. The suspensions for both Jake Bailey and Jack Jones So the Jack Jones one, you can understand more. He was late to rehab sessions as he was trying to make his way back from an injury. But the Jake Bailey one is strange. So Jake Bailey's agent actually released a statement where he said, while Jake Bailey was on IR, he never missed a single treatment, meeting, or practice. He was hoping to come off IR to play last weekend. But Jake was informed he was being suspended the last two games. This comes as a surprise given his full participation during the injury reserve. We have filed a grievance to fight this unknown suspension. So they're filing a grievance against the Patriots for this. And this is kind of fishy to me. You understand the Jack Jones one, right? The guy was showing up late to rehab. But you got Jake Bailey's agent coming out and saying this isn't true with Jake Bailey. And so the interesting component to this is the suspension could give the Patriots justification for avoiding his $2.1 million salary next season. So he's due 2.1 in guaranteed money next season. So the issue for the Patriots becomes, okay. well, if they file the grievance and Jake Bailey's party wins, then they have to pay the money. So I wouldn't put it past the Patriots to be trying to pull over a fast one. Right. And Jake Bailey's agent, to his credit, he's defending his client and saying, no, screw this. We're going to file a grievance against you. So this could be a really shady thing for the Patriots. If it's proven that Jake Bailey shouldn't have been suspended, that that's a really bad look for the Pats. Oh, I did want to mention this real briefly. So we didn't hit our loser bet where the Patriots, in order for them to get in, they needed all these things to happen if they lost today, which of course they lost. They're not getting into the playoffs. We've talked about that for a while, but you needed the Dolphins to lose to the Jets. That didn't happen. And then we needed Cleveland to beat Pittsburgh. That didn't happen either. The one part that did hit was the Titans losing to the Jaguars, which we all thought was going to happen. But our same game parlay hit plus 323 on FanDuel over seven and a half points in the third quarter. We got that from both teams combined over the 42 and a half points. We hit on that and the Bills over 12 and a half points in the first half. And they hit on that for 14. So we actually hit, we hit the same game parlay. We did not hit the loser bet. I really wanted the loser bet to hit, but we didn't hit that. Anyway, so real quickly, I want to get to a note on the Celtics, not the most impressive performance in San Antonio, of course. But before I forget this, okay, so Perk, I understand he's like a media superstar now. He's all over ESPN, huge personality, great for him and all that. But Man, does he say some crazy stuff when he's on the broadcast? Because last night, I don't know if you missed the game. If you didn't, you probably experienced what I did. It was an earlier game, 6 p.m., and it was one of those players-only broadcasts where Scal basically does the play-by-play and Perk was with him. They did it a couple of times at Eddie House as well. But last night, Perk on the broadcast said that he wants Tatum to average 10 rebounds per game. I'm like, what is this guy talking about? Talking about 10 rebounds a game for Tatum? So, like, if you look at the best players at Tatum's position over the past 20 years or so, it's Kawhi, obviously LeBron and Kevin Durant. Like those are the three, those are the small forwards that have like ruled the NBA. Those guys, none of them have ever averaged 10 rebounds per game for a season. Like I don't understand what Perk was talking about with that point. And Tatum's a great rebounder, but you wouldn't want him chasing rebounds like he's Russell Westbrook. That hurt the Oklahoma City Thunder at times right and like you want tatum getting out in transition so it would hurt you if he's like chasing rebounds like this idea oh he's got to get to 10 rebounds why why does he need to get to 10 rebounds tatum's a great rebounder tatum does plenty of rebounding i don't understand why you want more rebounding from tatum i want tatum out on the wing catching the ball in transition when you're getting rebounds i don't i don't know what perk was thinking i don't know if he just doesn't realize that Ordinarily, an early small forwards aren't over the 10 rebounds per game threshold. Like maybe he just said that to say it. I don't know. He also said last night at one point he had to correct himself that Robert Williams was 7-1, so he came back from break and had to correct himself there. I mean, I like Perk, like he's a good personality and all that, but I just thought that was absolutely crazy. Now, that game last night should have never gotten that close. you were up 114 to 105 with 349 left. The Spurs came all the way back. Josh Richardson, our old friend, hit that three. Oh, you love to see Tatum hit that. Dirk jump shot at the end of the game over another old friend in Romeo Lankford. you like to see that, but put them away quicker next time. This is the San Antonio Spurs. It's not a good team. The game should have been over. But one big thought from that game I had. Robert Williams continues to be a major factor. How about him blocking the three last night where and then he dunks it on the other end. He blocked the three at the top of the key, right, where. It was Charles Bassey, I believe the guy's name is. I I never heard of the guy until last night. It's kind of like that Oklahoma City game. You had a bunch of guys that I've never heard of in that game, and somehow they lit up the Celtics, but that didn't happen with the Spurs. But he blocks them out at the top, And then goes all the way down the other end and finishes with a dunk. I mean, it's just remarkable seeing how athletic he is for his size. And the thing that jumps out to me about Rob is how much ground he can make up when he's blocking a three. I mean, and we know the wingspan is ridiculous, seven foot six wingspan. It's just like out of this world how long this guy is. But it's remarkable to me to see how much ground he can make up. And then he finishes with 10 points, 11 rebounds, three assists, tremendous passer for his size, two steals, four blocks, and he goes five of six from the field. And it's like predatorial the way that he plays defense, right? Where he's like baiting guys into taking shots. And one of the things I was interested in with the Celtics is, okay, at the beginning of the season, they weren't forcing turnovers whatsoever. And I was thinking, hey, when Rob comes back, I think that number will tick up. And the reason I thought that was because when Rob's out there, guys are going to be more willing to take risks, right? Because Rob can make up for your mistakes, right? You go for a steal, you don't get it. Okay, Rob's at the rim and he's going to block your shot. You didn't have that presence, of course, when Rob was dealing with the injury. So if you look at the numbers, since Robert Williams came back, the Celtics are 11th in steals per game at 7.3. That number prior to Rob coming back was 29th in the NBA at 6.4. So they've gone from 29th to 11 in steals per game in terms of just because Rob is there. The other one, which we shouldn't be surprised about because Rob himself had four blocks last night. So the Celtics, since Robert Williams has come back into the lineup, you know where they rank in the NBA in blocks per game? Second at 6.5. Prior to Rob, they were 14th in the NBA at 5.0. So this defense has become totally different now that Rob's back. And by the way, the Celtics, in terms of their defense since the start of December, they're third in the NBA. So the defense is starting to come back. The lone exception, of course, that OKC game where nobody played defense whatsoever. But for the most part, the defense is coming back. And the blocks is just a major factor because you didn't have that to turn at the rim, right? There wasn't a fear factor going to the rim against the Celtics. And ironically, he didn't play in the game against Oklahoma City. You don't have that fear factor when he's not there. Now you do. And Rob's like the blocks bring energy, but also it's great. Like everybody gets pumped up when you get a great block, right? But it also generates offense, right? Because then you're getting out on the break more and you look at the numbers, right? With Rob on the floor this season, the Celtics have a Plus 10.3 net rating. So that means they're outscoring their opponents by more than 10 points per 100 possessions, which is just remarkable. They have an offensive rating over 122 with them on the court. You look at it over the past two seasons, 9.8 in terms of their net rating with Robert Williams on the floor. So they're outscoring their opponents by almost double digits when Robert Williams plays. And then you look at last night, what they did at the end of the game is they dusted off the two big lineup to close out the game. Now, obviously, they'll come back in the game a little bit, but. Now on the season, those two guys, Rob and Al Horford, have played just 38 minutes together. But the defensive rating is 101.2 with those two guys on the court. So just to put that into context, the Grizzlies lead the NBA with a 109 defensive rating. So you are eight points better than the Grizzlies, the best defense in the NBA when Rob and Al Horford are on the court together. So Missoula leans offense. Now, he said this prior to the season, too. Like, he wanted the offense to be better. better. That was his big emphasis. And for the most part, it has been significantly better. I know they haven't been shooting as well as they were earlier this season. Obviously, we went through that last week. But the point being is, now, when you need to go to this lineup, you can. Where, okay, hey, we need to make sure that we shut the shit down on the other side. We're going to turn into the elite defense we've been over the past few years. And they can do that when Robert Williams is there. Now, I am interested. We had the conversation with Michael Pina last week about... Hey, when will they actually put Rob into the starting lineup? I just like the fact that he has the flexibility when he needs defense, he can go to the two big lineup, which it was remarkable to see those guys in the court together. I love watching them play defense together. And we saw that last night. But the Robert Williams thing, this is something to watch. I mean, I love the fact that, okay, I'm not really worried about an injury right now because he's back. They got to be careful with the minutes. I get all that. But. Watching Robert Williams play for this team brings a different level of excitement that you didn't have prior to, of course, when he wasn't in the lineup. All right. As always, make sure to get your voicemails in 617-396-7172, 617-396-7172. Thanks to Jamie McClellan and Steve Shruti for producing this podcast, and we'll chat in a couple of days.